All right, so we're in Psalm 22. We've been progressing through the Psalms, or at least kind of skipping through the Psalms. Uh, we are at Psalm 22 today. Um, I'm going to just pull up this. Whoops, I need to turn it on. There you go. So Psalm 22, here's a couple quotes about Psalm 22. Uh, Luther uh, would say that this is a gem among the Psalms. Uh, Spurgeon, a quote from Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, uh, this is beyond all others, the Psalm of the cross. We should read reverently, putting off our shoes from our feet as Moses did at the burning bush. For if there be holy ground anywhere in scripture, it is in this Psalm. Maybe that raises the bar a little bit. Um, uh, I am not taking my shoes off, I'm wearing them, but uh, we can take off our shoes perhaps uh, reverently in thought as we look into the 22nd Psalm and uh, see what's in it uh, for us. Uh, let's start with uh, a word of prayer before we do. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, every part of it uh, speaks of you and draws us uh, to you and draws us to your Son, and we just uh, thank you for uh, the passages that we can study. And tonight we thank you for this psalm. And we just pray that as we go through it, that you would uh, bless our time together and uh, that you would uh, just, uh, that your word would live in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in Psalm 22. It's a psalm that is typically attributed to David. Um, you, when you look through it, you try to say, when in David's life would he have written this? Um, there is, if you read the, the commentators, the commentators would say perhaps it was uh, while he was fleeing from his son, uh, Absalom. That would be Second uh, Samuel 15 to 18, the three chapters in there, um, when he was fleeing from his son, Absalom. And so essentially, I won't go through the full um, story from Second uh, Samuel 15, but essentially the gist of it is, is that his son gains favor with uh, the, the, the nation, and eventually David is forced uh, to flee. And I'll just read in a little bit from uh, where David flees Jerusalem, which is in Second uh, Samuel 15, Verse 24, and Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God, and they set down the Ark of God until the people had all passed out of the city. And the king said to Zadok, carry the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. Um, kind of a, a bit of a resignation, so to speak. Um, he says, take the ark back into the city, and if God sees it fit, he'll bring me back here. I'll see the ark, and I'll see uh, the temple. I'll see Jerusalem once again. But if not, then I'll tell God, you know, do with me as you will um, what seems good to you. Um, so Psalm 22 opens with a, an idea of being forsaken. And David kind of takes that idea when he first leaves Jerusalem of saying, you know, um, 
if I don't find favor in God. And maybe this was him afterwards saying, God, why have you forsaken me? Um, so we won't go too much into David, but that's kind of giving some context perhaps as to where this psalm came from. I think though to many degrees, the psalm is a lot deeper than David probably even realized. I would, in fact, I'll put it out there and say, I don't think he realized the prophetic nature of what he was writing. Um, certainly there's a poetic element to it. Um, and perhaps some of his thoughts, you know, he wrote them in a way to um, really draw out some of the emotion that he was feeling. Um, but really, this, this psalm is a very prophetic psalm. It's a messianic psalm. And we're, we're going to spend a lot of time looking at uh, the parallels between Psalm 22 uh, and Jesus. Um, I'll go through it on the screen as we go along. And I've kind of put it in these boxes of color coding. And so if you're listening to this in the podcast form, I apologize, you won't see my color coding. If you're on YouTube or you're watching us on Zoom, uh, you'll see it. Um, but I've put all these color codings for a reason. And when we get to the end of the psalm, I'll put it all back together and show kind of how the psalm um, flows in terms of um, the various elements. So the first part, um, you'll see on the left, is the complaint of David or the psalmist. And I'll preface it by saying also the complaint uh, that we can rightly attribute to the Lord Jesus. In fact, you'll recognize the words from verse one. Um, they were spoken from the cross. Jesus spoke those very words. Uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. And so on the left is the complaint. On the right is how the psalmist brings about a consolation. So we'll, we'll flip back and forth. So this is where the consolation part comes in. So he's given his complaint about being forsaken. And then he jumps in in verse 3. He says, yet you are holy. He takes uh, consolation in that. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. We jump back to the left side. And here's the complaint. But I am a worm and not a man scorned by mankind and despised by the people all who see me mock me they make mouths at me they wag their heads he trusts in the lord let him deliver him let him rescue him for he delights in him and at the end of this complaint portion if we were to put it that way we go to another consolation yet you are he who took me from the womb you made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb, you have been my God. And so we have this back and forth between a complaint and then kind of a consolation where he kind of says, but God, you have been worthy. You have been trustworthy. You've been faithful. Um, you've been my God all this time. And then we get to the first of the two kind of requests be not far from me for trouble is near and there is none to help 
Now we enter into a bit of a different one. You'll notice the colors change. So I've used a different set of colors here for left and right. And we're gonna bounce back and forth from left to right with the left being his physical, sorry, being the enemies and what he is enduring at the hands of his enemies. And the right being the physical, the, the physical description of what he's going through. So we'll jump back and forth. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. That's the description of the enemies. And then we jump to the other side. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. We jump back to the enemies. For dogs encompass me. A company of evil doers encircles me. And we jump back to the physical. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. We jump back once again to the enemies. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. So we've done again a bit of a back and forth side to side. And then we get to the second prayer. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. Very similar to the first prayer, um, which was, be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. This one is, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. It's a bit longer of a prayer, this one. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I'll pause for a second on that, just if you're reading along. And we were discussing this just before the study started. Different versions frame it a little bit differently. Um, if you read in the New King James, it'll say, save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen you have answered me versus the ESV, which has it kind of the wild oxen comes after you have rescued me. So just to, in terms of the flow of it. And I understand that the NIV, which I was not reading as I was preparing, um, the NIV skips the you have answered me is what I understand. So if you're reading in the NIV, uh, to me, you're missing the most crucial portion of the chapter. And I need to go and study why that sentence is missing. I only realized it was missing from the NIV just uh, beforehand as I was talking with Lucas and Bennett. So um, that's some extra food for thought to go home and study that passage. Um, but yes, you have answered me comes in a little bit of a jumping order, depending on your version, or even is missed. Um, and to me, that's a very important part of the psalm. You have answered me. You have rescued me. Uh, so that's the so that's so far as the pattern. So we go from uh, the complaints and the consolations, complaints and consolations, and a prayer. Uh, enemies, physical enemies, physical enemies, and a prayer, and kind of the hiatus in the middle, or the kind of the breath of fresh air in the middle. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen, which then runs us into the conclusion. It's a bit small on the screen, so I encourage you to read along in your own Bibles. Um, but in this section, you'll see it kind of talks about three different ways in which 
the Lord is praised. You have rescued me, and then there is praise and praise and praise. You have rescued me. Praise is the natural course uh, beyond that. Um, and there's kind of three areas of, of the praise, which is why I've put them in various shades of blue. Uh, so let's jump back in at verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. So we have the congregation. Uh, then we jump into 26. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to you. Sorry, kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him. Sorry, eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. And then the last one, posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. And so if we look at it strictly from, I guess, perhaps a poetic view, this is the structure in which Psalm 22 is put together. Um, complaint number one, God, you've forsaken me. I call and you don't answer. Consolation one, yet you are holy. Our fathers trusted and you delivered them. Complaint two, I am a worm, scorned and despised, mocked, consolation number two, yet you are he who took me from the womb, and you have been my God. The prayer, be not far from me. Enemies, bulls encompass me like roaring lions, physical, poured out like water, bones are out of joint, heart is like wax, strength dried up, tongue sticks to my jaw, back to the enemies, dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers. Back to the physical. They pierce my hands and feet. I count my bones. Back to the enemies. They stare. They gloat. They divide my garments. They cast lots for clothes. And then a prayer. Be not far from me. Come to my aid. Deliver my soul, my life. Save me. And then deliverance. You have rescued me. And then comes the praise. Praise by the congregation. To my brothers in the congregation, I will praise. And the offspring of Israel. Praise by the world. The ends of earth will the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all will bow and praise by future generations. It shall be told uh, to coming generations, He has done it. Um, just as we're looking at the structure uh, briefly, also there's a bit of poetry even in the way that the psalmist will um, present uh, bulls, lions, and dogs, and they're the enemies. That are first presented but as deliverance comes it's done in the opposite direction dogs lions and bulls um, so again a little bit of poetry and symmetry in there for those of you who enjoy poetry and um, symmetry in uh, in in writing um, so 
all in all, it maybe gives you an appreciation of the poetic side of the psalm and what it pulls, what it pulls together. Um, I want to kind of take the time that we have left to look at it from two perspectives, though. I want to take a look at this psalm as, first of all, a pattern for the afflicted. Clearly, uh, David wrote this at a time in which he was in, uh, afflicted, and it's uh, something that we can apply to ourselves. So let's take a look at it from that perspective. And then we're also going to look at it, and I think quite rightly so, as how this applies uh, to the Lord Jesus. Um, so just looking at here in terms of the pattern, um, the first things I want to uh, put out is the fact that uh, it's okay to bring our complaints uh, to God. It's okay to be open, to pour out uh, our afflictions to him. Um, you know, there's times in which we can go in our lives and we can feel that God has abandoned us. Um, so, however, it's okay to share those uh, feelings with God. However, the pattern is, is also that we, when we share our burdens, our complaints, our afflictions with God, that we also take time to look back on the times that God has been faithful to us, to look back at those times where we can say, yes, God, you did this for me, and God, you were this way in my family, as the psalmist uh, talks about. Um, and ultimately, as he goes through the psalm, um, there's the idea of you have rescued me, the idea that God's salvation comes. And if we apply this uh, psalm to the Lord Jesus, and we can think about, you know, the complaints that the Lord would have had on the cross about uh, just, you know, my heart is like wax and they've pierced me. Um, the deliverance did not come in the way that was physical to the Lord. It didn't come... Um, with him being released from the cross. Uh, the deliverance came by way of the Lord's salvation. It came by way of a much greater uh, deliverance, um, one that for sure the Lord was setting his eyes on that, uh, but still went through the physical. And I think sometimes for us, we can look at uh, deliverance and we have a certain idea of what that deliverance should be. Um, but we need to in these times, remember that God is sovereign. Um, that God, you know, ultimately, we can look to our salvation as our consolation and say that salvation, God's salvation is enough. And I think that's, it's easier said than lived or applied. Uh, I think we're all of, a, of the mindset often that, you know, I don't want to go through suffering. I don't want to go through hard times. Um, I appreciate the fact that I have my salvation, um, but would it be so bad for me to also have, you know, X, Y, and Z? And so I think it's easier for me to stand up here and say, you know, God's salvation is enough. You don't worry about this life's troubles and this life's pains. Eventually, you're going to, you know, be with your Savior. And, that, and that's true, and that should be consolation enough. I think uh, that's really um, where... Um, we can struggle is in recognizing God's sovereignty. You know, we, we can think about Job, and we were talking about Job uh, just recently, um, who suffered immensely, you know, and God would say, well, where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? 
And Job's response, behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Um, Matthew tells us, uh, in Matthew 10, 28, sorry, it's Jesus tells us in, in Matthew, uh, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and the body uh, in hell. Um, and, you know, just a reminder that ultimately we live in a fallen world. The things that are bad around us uh, are the result of sin, and we will have deliverance. Um, that consolation, I know, sometimes is not is not all the way there um, when we look at it from a human perspective. But yet, uh, we can look and say, "You have rescued me," um, and so, um, like, I, I'm not at this time. I'm not going through any huge afflictions myself. And I think it's easy for me to stand up here and preach, um, and I kind of pray often when you preach on a passage like this or pre preach on a passage like Job, you kind of say, I realize I'm preaching on this. I really don't want to have to apply the lesson though. Um, so, um, but, so I hope that if ever God puts me in a case in which he's really trying me, that I can in fact um, look to God's salvation as the ultimate consolation, that God's salvation in my life would be enough, that I would satisfy myself in that salvation and cast all that I have on him and say, you have rescued me um, and give him praise for it. Um, so just a bit in terms of leaving our fate uh, to God's sovereignty, it can be difficult. We can take consolation in what we've seen in God's faithfulness. And I think that God is very faithful. It's not just salvation that um, oftentimes uh, he grants, uh, we know that God listens to the prayers um, of the saints. Uh, we're told to pray. Uh, I would, I'm not going to get into a whole lesson on prayer, um, but God is faithful. And so I think the pattern is, even when we can't see God's faithfulness, we have these complaints, we have these issues, that we look to our salvation and we also console ourselves in the times that God was faithful. And we leave those things uh, with God in prayer and then ask him be not far from me come to my aid deliver my soul my life save me um, so that's the first way that we could look at this psalm is as an application to ourselves and how we pray in a time of affliction uh, psalm 22 and i want to spend the rest of our time tonight looking at this psalm 22 and i'm sure as you read through this you kept lights kept going off as you're like, I recognize this, I recognize that, I recognize this. And that's kind of my goal here is I'm going to go through the this psalm and the New Testament kind of flipping back and forth and point out the areas in which this psalm is truly uh, an application uh, to the Lord Jesus. The first one, as I already alluded to earlier, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Matthew 27, 46 and Mark 15, 34. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. This is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The exact words from the start of the Psalm were quoted by the Lord Jesus on the cross. Um, there are some that suggested that Jesus uh, may have recited the whole Psalm um, as a psalm to comfort him himself 
uh, while he was on the cross. Obviously, that's um, perhaps some speculation on their parts. Um, but you can see elements uh, through it. And I'll, I'll, I'll hit back on that idea right at the end. Uh, so you can kind of keep that in mind. But it kind of also shows us the degree of separation felt by the Lord Jesus as he was on the cross, as he was uh, separated uh, from his father and bearing the sin of our sin uh, on the cross. Verse 2 reads, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, and by night, but I find no rest. Uh, Hebrews 5 7 tells us that in the days of his flesh, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And, was, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And be, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And here we have an example of the Lord Jesus who cried by day. He offered up prayers and supplications uh, to the Father. Um, and then, by night, and I find no rest... Just the idea of finding no rest, that's a little small on screen. Isaiah 53, uh, 10 talks about it was the Lord's will to crush him. Uh, out of anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Uh, there was no rest that came to the Lord Jesus while he was on that cross. Um, he went right through to the point of breath, uh, death. Sorry. Um, so... Yeah, so he was, see, he cried by day cried by night and found no rest. There was no rest because Jesus um, was paying it all. Um, verse six through eight, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads, he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him for he delights in him. We'll go to Matthew 27. Of, uh, 39 to 43 and those who passed by derided him wagging their heads and saying you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days save yourself if you are the son of God come down from the cross so also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying he saved others he cannot save himself he is the king of Israel if he is the king of Israel let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him he trusts in God let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Um, I love how even um, the priests and the, uh, the people mocking, their words are, I'm not sure if they were intentionally quoting the Psalms here, uh, or if they were using it as a mocking. Maybe they'd heard Jesus open up with, uh, my God, my God, and they knew the passage. Uh, um, and so they're quoting the Psalm back in his face, perhaps mockingly. But again, they use the words directly from verse 8. He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. That's pretty much what they quote right back in his face. As they passed by, they derided him. And it wasn't just on the cross. Um, you know, he was accused of uh, being a lawbreaker, a blasphemer, of uh, breaking the Sabbath. He was accused of being a drunkard, a false prophet, an enemy to Caesar, uh, he was accused of being uh, a demon, Beelzebub, 
um, and being um, aligned uh, with Satan. He was mocked and despised. And we see that, um, that Jesus here would have said, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip and they shake the head. And Jesus um, clearly underwent um, all that is being described here uh, in that in the psalm. Little side note about worms. Um, stumbled upon this as I was um, studying the passage here. The common word in the Old Testament for worms is rima. Whenever worms are mentioned, it's rima. That's the that's the the word that is used. Um, however, here there's a word that is used, um, which is taula or tolaath. I I'm sorry, I don't uh, <laughs> uh, I don't speak uh, Hebrew or Greek, uh, so you'll pronounce you'll forgive my pronunciation. Um, the word taula is used throughout Scripture, but always in reference to the word scarlet. Um, it's usually used. Uh, it's basically a scarlet worm. Um, so scarlet worms are crimson worms. I've put a photo of it in the top right corner. Those are all. Those are scarlet worms. Um, they're very common in the Middle East, um, and nearly exclusively, it is used to describe the color. Uh, it is used uh, in um, building the, ta the tabernacle. Exodus twenty-six one. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet tala yarns, and you shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. So that's, and also in Exodus 28, when it's describing the priest garments, it's talking about scarlet, and the word taula is used. And it's the same word that is used in Psalm 22, taula. Um, and there's a root word, uh, shani. Um, so taula is used as scarlet, as in Isaiah 118, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord, though you Though your sins be scarlet, um, which is the derivative of the word tala, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, tola ath, they shall be as wool. Um, so that word is used there. It's used only of two other times in terms of being applied to a person. Once in Job where it says, how much less man that is a worm and the son of man which is a worm. Um, so it's used in that context, again, of scarlet worm in Job. And it's used again, once more in Isaiah. Fear not, thou worm Jacob, and ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Um, so it's the word that was used in Psalms is not a common word for worm. And I'll put it forward here that there is an intentional meaning behind this. Um, incidentally, the dye is still made from these worms to this day, so they still use um, that. Um, I want to go slightly, I'm digressing into this tangent of worms. Um, here's the life cycle of the tola ath, or the silkworm, or the crimson worm, sorry. The crimson worm lays eggs only once. Uh, to lay the eggs, the mother climbs a tree or a wooden fence and attaches herself to it. A hard crimson shell forms so hard and solid that it can only be removed by tearing it and thereby killing the worm. So you can't uh, take the worm back off. When the larvae hatch, they remain under the, mother's, under the mother worm 
feeding for three days. After three days, the mother worm dies, excreting a crimson dye that stains the wood and the baby worms, which remain stained the rest of their lives. On day four, the tail of the mother worm pulls up into her head, forming a heart-shaped body uh, that is no longer crimson, but has turned into a snow-white wax that looks like a patch of wool on the tree or fence, and it then begins to flake off and drop to the ground looking like snow. Like, my mind was blown when I read all that. I was like, that is really cool. Um, it's kind of like one of those little nuggets that you kind of start to unravel, and you go, that is really neat. Um, and here, the psalmist and the Lord Jesus, um, well, the psalmist is grabbing that word for the silk, for the crimson worm, not just the regular old worms, any worms, earthworms, but the crimson word worm, the scarlet worm. And a worm that incidentally has a whole lot of analogies that we could apply uh, to the Lord Jesus. Um, Isaiah 118, we've already read, though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow, and they'll be, they'll be red like crimson, they'll be white as wool. And again, this scarlet bug turns white as wool at the end of its uh, cycle. The mother attaches herself to the wood of a tree or fence in the same way that Jesus was attached uh, to the cross and allowed the nails to be driven into his hands um, and stayed attached uh, to it. Um, the, uh, the mother worm uh, excretes a crimson scarlet dye that covers the baby worms and stains and marks them. And we know Jesus was bruised. He bled and he died and his blood covers us. Um, and it's his blood that washes away our sins and the idea that the crimson dye um, um, uh, it marks it marks the the generation that comes from it and in, in a way it marks us as well um, Spurgeon had whoops I didn't put it up well that's right it's only on my notes Spurgeon said this about it he said about the worm he said there is a little red worm which seems to be nothing else but blood when it is crushed it seems all gone except a blood stain, and the Savior in the deep humiliation of his spirit compares himself to that little red worm. How true it is that he made himself of no reputation for our sakes. He emptied himself of all his glory, and if there is any glory natural to manhood, he emptied himself even of that. Not only the glories of his Godhead, but also the honors of his manhood he laid aside that it might be seen that though he was rich, yet for our sakes, he became poor. So a bit of a side note about worms. Hope you found that part as interesting as I did. Um, we'll get to just, we'll just breeze through and I realize my time is gone. Bunch of verses on the right that complement the ones on the left from Psalm 11. Uh, for trouble is near and there is none to help. And we know in Matthew 26, 56, that all of his disciples left him and fled. There was none to help. He was all alone, left uh, all alone. Um, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Um, we know John 19 tells us, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water, uh, bones out of joint. It's not bones that are broken, it's bones out of joint. And we know that uh, from John 19, for these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Um, my, my heart is like wax. I kind of wonder if that's referring back to that worm again that uh, turns eventually to a wax, uh, to a waxy substance. Uh, my heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. 
My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. And we know that Jesus, uh, his tongue was definitely sticking uh, to his jaw. Uh, in John 19, 28, he would say, I, th I thirst. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. And we know from John 20, 25, uh, we uh, read, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Um, just uh, that he's, his hands were, his, sorry, they pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. Uh, we know that he was uh, tied to the cross in shame where all of his bones would have been visible. Uh, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots um, again. And when they had crucified him, they delivered his, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Um, just the amazing juxtaposition of these two of, you know, there's nothing that is missed from one that did not take place. Um, it's almost as though it was inspired. Uh, we get to the part of the Psalm. There's praise. You have rescued me. The prayer of Christ, uh, says Matthew Henry, the prayer of Christ, no doubt was answered for the father heard him always. And though he did not deliver him from death, yet he suffered him not to see corruption, but the third day raised him out of the dust of death, which was a greater instance of God's favor to him than if he had helped him down from the cross, for that would have hindered his undertaking, whereas his resurrection crowned it. And God answers, you have rescued me. Um, God rescues him uh, from the power of death. We get to the conclusion here, praise from the congregation. I will tell of your name in the congregation, we read uh, in Psalms. Um, and certainly it's talking, in, in the Psalm it's talking about uh, Israel, um, but it's not a stretch for us to apply it to the church. In fact, the author of Hebrews does that very thing for us. And we read in Hebrews 2, 9 through 12, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned of glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And so we have the praise from the church. We have the praise from the nation. We have the praise from the church. We also have praise from the world. I won't belabor the point. We can jump down to verse 29. We read all the prosperous of the earth, eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Philippians 2 tells us, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God the Father. Um, all of the earth will acknowledge Jesus as Lord. They will bow down and give him praise uh, for what he has done. Um, that he has rescued, uh, that he has rescued. Um, and lastly, 
praise from future generations. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. Uh, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Um, I dare say that we are that people in Psalms that were yet unborn, but yet it is preached to us, um, proclaimed uh, that he has done it. Posterity, it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. In Luke 1, in Mary's song, she says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And we are part of, that, of those generations, uh, the praise of future generations. And if the Lord doesn't come, May it be the praise of future generations and our generations, generations, our kids, families, and those kids, families, and those generations will continue to praise him that he has done it. And that's the last words of the Psalms. He has done it. What a glorious thing that the Lord has done, that Jesus has done. And I've put a, a different verse, which you'll recognize, obviously, from the, from the New Testament. It is finished. Um, Perhaps, um, and I'll uh, take in a bit of inspiration from the text, but perhaps as the Lord pondered and spent time on the cross thinking about this psalm, he got to the end, as we do now, with he has done it. It is finished. And he gave up his breath and died on the cross. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for... Um, this truly amazing psalm. Um, we just uh, marvel at it. We um, can see your son, our Lord Jesus, uh, through every portion of this psalm. And we just thank you. Uh, we thank you that you have rescued us. And we thank you that he has done it, that it is finished and it was done for us. And uh, we just, uh, we stand here with nothing but thanks and awe that he would stoop to that level for us, uh, that he would consider himself a worm, but we were much lower than he. And we just pray that uh, we would just be mindful of you and mindful of our Savior as we um, leave here together this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.